Canucks Central Thursday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 5,000 five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Canuck Central is for Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Camby and Main or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. Uh, you made it into the office today? Yeah, yes, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you. Hope everybody's still getting around. You know, the flurries have started to come down again. Yeah. I walked over to Whole Foods to try and get a little bit of a bite to eat. And, you know, slipping and sliding. Yeah, it's rough out there. Got to be careful. I got to be honest. I, 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 uh, I, I brought an umbrella to work today. You did? I did. I, I saw. I, I brought an umbrella, too. Like, why? I'm not going to get my hair messed up. Especially <laughs> yeah, we're on TV of, later. You well, know, yeah, we got exactly. to keep the hair clean. 100%. So, it doesn't just naturally look okay. I, I just know people get mad at people like walking around with umbrellas in the city. I don't know why. I mean, it rains so much. <laughs> like, let the, you know, you know what? Okay, I, there are inconsiderate people that have umbrellas. Like, if, if you have like a golf umbrella and you're one tiny person, <laughs> probably inconsiderate. And if you're bumping into people and you know poking eyes out, sure. Like, there's etiquette with how you use an umbrella. See, I, I like umbrella etiquette. I am a shorter person. Mm. Uh, so yeah, you know, my, my umbrella is not like that high. I, I might be poking <laughs> some people out. I am you're the golf the umbrella guy. You're you a golf are, umbrella yeah. guy. Yeah, I'm oh, the golf man. You're man. that guy. But I'm putting it above people. From going I mean, by you wear right. golf shoes to work like 75% of the time too. So <laughs> you notice <laughs> it's true. I'm going to be that guy. Um, so yeah, I uh, hope everybody's getting around all right. And we've got a Canucks game happening tonight at Rogers Arena. They begin a five-game homestand uh, with the Arizona Coyotes in town. We'll get to uh, the pregame after six o'clock, six fifty, six fifty on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. You got a question or comment? Let us know on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, and we'll uh, try to get to as many as we can through the course of the program. So. Lotto line seems like it's sticking together here, Sat. And uh, I guess why why wouldn't you? You know, you played six games with it, and you won all but one of those games. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So eleven out of twelve points sounds pretty good when you talk about the lotto line and how it's affected this lineup. And I, I think right now you're kind of in a stage where you're trying so many things out seeing and trying to get a better picture of what you might want to go out and acquire Mm -hmm. ahead of the deadline. And so giving a, at least maybe 10 game sample of what this team can do with the lotto line put together and how much the rest of the lineup can hold their own while Mm -hmm. those three forwards are stuck together. Like, I, I think that's not only is it working right now, but I think that's probably the idea that, coach and management are having is like maybe this gives us a a better idea of what we need to go out and acquire i think to some extent that's that's true uh and the other part i think is just like you're you should run this until you stop winning run it while it's hot yeah i mean picking like you mentioned you picked up 11 out of 12 points yeah in the in, in the six games these guys have been together it's uh until you hit a hit a hit a rough patch maybe keep it going with those guys but i i think you are right in terms of getting a clear picture of what the other guys on your team can do and what best fits it is i think going to be instructive and it's going to really nail down for them whether they think they need a center 
or whether they need a winger. Yeah. I mean, I think ideally they'd, they'd like to get somebody, I would bet, not reporting, just saying, I would bet, would be somebody that can do a little bit of everything, like a versatile forward. Yeah. That can maybe play center, play a, wing. A better pew suitor. Yeah, to some extent. Yeah. You know, and that's not to say they're not looking for a rugged winger who can score, but it's really what comes available to you as well. And when you look at the at the uh, trade market, Dan, it's very barren. It's underwhelming. Yeah, like really beggars is. can't be choosers, man. Like if you're looking to improve your hockey team, like there's only so much you can wade through. There's a lot of uh, teams at the top that are uh, probably looking to <laughs> better their hockey team. And right now there's just not a lot of great options out there, right? No. I mean, a lot of the bad teams have been bad for a while, like the Ottawa's and the the Buffalo's, Detroit's. Uh, well, Detroit's uh, finally moved their way back up to standings in the top three spot in the in the Atlantic, actually. But they've been kind of up and down, but back up again. You know, Columbus, Arizona, Chicago, like all these teams have so many mm-hmm. uh, draft picks and prospects already that they've been cultivating, and you're kind of wondering, well, what players do they want to trade? Everybody that they like, they've locked up already. So that makes it a little bit more difficult. San Jose doesn't really have anybody all that interesting outside of maybe Anthony Duclair. So like, the more I look at the, at the, at the trade market, you know, I, was, I was reading a, a piece on The Athletic from, uh, from Winnipeg, and they're like, five trade targets for the, for the Winnipeg Jets in trade season. It's like... All the same guys we've been talking about, you know, Sean Monahan, <laughs> yeah. Chris Tanev, Elias Lindholm, uh, Sean Walker. You know, it's right now there is a lack of clarity on who are going to be the sellers in this league, and I think that's playing a part into uh, into this discussion a little bit. But as far as the lotto line goes and how well it's played, you know, it's gotten Elias mm-hmm. Pettersson's game going in the right direction. He's scoring uh, for fun lately. But one guy, and, and arguably the most consistent forward for this team all year, and maybe we haven't talked about it enough, even though we are the uh, JT Miller fanboy show, according to some. Yes. Uh, like, JT has been, even more so than Patterson, has been a more consistent player from game 1 to 44, in my estimation. Well, I, I think his overall production has certainly been more consistent Yeah, um, at a high level. I mean, he hasn't Patterson, gone two games at a point since like the first week or two of the season. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Like he's, he's constantly picking up points. Now, his game has varied a little bit, too. Like if you look at overall goals for goals against when on the ice, like it, it's still Patterson has still looks a little bit better in that light. And ultimately, it comes down to, you know, your impact in that regard. And yep. I'm not talking plus minus necessarily just overall to in all situations. Um, but I would say for, from a production at a high end perspective, he's been more consistent through the year. Whereas Pedersen has had higher peaks. Yes. Like he's kind of gone, you know, he's gone off. He's gone supernova. That, and that's the difference with Pedersen, right? Like he has, he can do certain things over stretches that very few players in the league can do. It's uh, and, and, you know, like this past week when he won first star of the week is is a great example mm-hmm. of it. And it just so happened it coincided with the lotto line being reunited. Yes. <laughs> what what, did what a Ruther- surprise. What did Jim Rutherford tell us uh, a couple of weeks ago? Like maybe when they want to get somebody going, put them with, with JT Miller <laughs> and, and all of a sudden they will magically start uh, scoring because for a large part of December and uh, well, a large part of December, we talked about how Pedersen wasn't really playing at that level we expect him to. He was still collecting points, doing some of those things. And then you put the lotto line back together and his game gets over that hump. And yeah. you just see that next level. 
And sometimes, like, JT is such a smart player. Um, do we give him enough credit for how, you know, seemingly the players that have played best next to him, or seemingly the, the, the players we've seen have great seasons, happens to coincide with them playing next to JT Miller? It stops being a coincidence when it's consistent. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's where the reality lies. And that's not to say that, you know, uh, uh, Pedersen only is good right now because of JT Miller. But it's to your point that you're making, I don't think he gets enough credit for making those around him better, generally speaking. Yeah. You know, look at Besser this year, look at Besser on the lotto line year, and look at essentially anybody Even who's that played. Boudreaux year was yeah. Tanner Pearson, JT Miller, and, and Brock Besser that were sort of the number one line that year, and they dominated. Yeah, and Pearson uh, played really well up until he got his injury. Yeah. You know, and he looked like, hey, here's a guy that not only can be an asset, but he plays the way the team wants a guy to play, right? But obviously after the injury, he was never quite the same. And now we know what he's kind of going through with, with Montreal, with other injuries and everything. But every everyone he's played with has played some of their best hockey. Yeah. And I think he's one of those players because of the way he can impact the game physically, because of how he can dominate the puck. And he's a really good distributor and playmaker. And... I think that's something that now Pedersen, perhaps when he was younger and played with with JT uh, in that lotto line year, maybe didn't quite appreciate about you know different types of players. But I think now, and you see their reaction to how they score and how they play, I'm sure Pedersen appreciates playing with a player like JT Miller right now, who can find him in space, who can dig pucks out, who can do a lot of the dirty work on the line, but also you know have have the soft hands and the vision and the IQ to make big plays. And I would imagine if you if you ask Pedersen, you know, uh, without, uh, you know, spotlights on him about playing with JT Miller, I'm sure you'd say he'd love his play with JT Miller right now because the, the way they set each other up. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you? Like, look at how explosive they've been together. Uh, I don't think there is too many players in the league that have better vision and th- than JT Miller. So... You know, you look back to when JT first became a Vancouver Canuck, and we've talked about this, you know, he's a top 10 scorer in the league, but a lot of that is based on his assists, right? He's got 233 assists since becoming a Vancouver Canuck. That is eighth most in the National Hockey League since 2019-20. There is one Canuck above him. It is uh, Quinn Hughes. Go figure. But, uh, you know, he's been unbelievable. And it's his vision on the ice, his IQ, I think that, you know, because they're all such smart hockey players, that's what allows them to move the pieces around in the offensive zone. You see them kind of manipulating the game when they have possession, and and JT's a big part of that. If I move into this space, it's going to pull that defender there, or if I'm looking here, that defender's going to shade that way, and I've got an open lane to pass to, to Pedersen on that side. You know, there's just there's a lot of things JT does with his vision and his understanding of the game that I think uh, you know, works on the power play, obviously, but also why he's one of the best assist men in the league. Yeah, and I mean, he's not this perfect hockey player. Yeah, I mean, he's not this perfect hockey player, but he, he does so many different things. His offensive abilities in the offensive zone is absolutely elite. Yeah. Like, from, from a point production standpoint, and that's nothing, nothing to scoff at. Like, it was to scoff at. We're talking about a guy who's top 10 in NHL scoring since he came to the Vancouver yes. Canucks. Yeah, I mean that's that's not bad. No, it's like over, good. over a what five year stretch now, the fifth season mm-hmm. for you to over that five year stretch be a top ten producer in the National Hockey League. I think it means you're one of the best offensive <laughs> players in the National Hockey League. And I don't think it's just hey he plays a lot of minutes. You know he's he's not he's somebody who's it's just picks up points in the power play. Place. Like no, like he's he's legitimately bar none without a doubt. You know do not pass goal go straight to jail if you say he's not a top line producer because he is. 
Yeah. One of the discussions around, and Ian McIntyre did a piece with uh, JT Miller uh, today, which you can find at sportsnet.ca. Um, you know, one of the things about JT has been his emotions. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the situation with Colin Delia last year and some of the back checks that got him called out on, on hockey night in, in Canada. Whatever it may have been, you know, we JT wears his heart on his sleeve, and there's been times where people view that as a negative, and you know, it's it might be one of the few negative things you can say about his game, but it, it becomes a problem when it affects your ability on the ice. Mm-hmm. It affects the rest of the team, the way that you are reacting to a personal mistake or whatever it might have been, the team's overall poor play, that seems to have gotten in check this year. And he's been more of a, you know, I'm going to lead by example in a very good way this season. And I think that's been a big part of him being a part of this leadership group. Yeah, and Connor Garland was on the Dropping the Gloves podcast. And one of the things he mentioned about JT was that, you know, they feed off of his emotion. And when it's positive, it makes such a great impact. And and that's always the kind of like the the double-edged sword for those types of players because of the emotions they play in. I mean, they really drive teams, but if it's not channeled the right way, it can have a negative impact. But you'd rather have players like that than not have them because – they can make such a massive impact when they're on their game. And JT certainly has been. And a lot of that credit goes to the coaching staff. Like, he, like you know, we joked about how he's kind of like JT's a bit of a wild stallion. You know, you need somebody that, that can probably, properly uh, tame him in a way that he can respect, but at the same time, you know, be himself. And I think Rick Tockett and that coaching staff have done a tremendous job striking that balance with him and getting that out of him and being able to have him have an even keel despite really running hot a lot of the time. I wonder if he'll ever uh, truly win over the fan base. I don't, I don't I, like. I I think that some people that he just rubs them the wrong way. They look at the negatives too and say, "Hey, defensively, still this and that. Yeah. Like he's a bit overrated." Like I think people that that view him that way are just not going to change their minds, really. Yeah, and part of it is the the vocal minority, and you know sometimes you know what gets said on Twitter is. Uh, gets too much of our <laughs> our attention because it is a small a very small small segment of the fan base. Yeah, but is he a fan favorite? I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say that he is. No, I think he's I mean he is, more. but like you know, he's he's down the list. He's behind you know, the other four of Pedersen, Hughes, Besser even, yeah. and, and Demko. I'd say that Besser is more beloved, yeah. I think, across the fan base than JT is, which I think is interesting because, I mean, JT is like literally, <laughs> what, like, what he, he's at worst their, their fourth best player? At yeah. worst? At worst. At worst? At worst. And so, okay, to, to, to put this, uh, you, you mentioned JT is a top 10 scorer in the league since he became a Canuck. Think about this, and, and that, it's wild to me that JT Miller isn't universally beloved given this statistic since he became a Vancouver Canuck. The only players in the NHL that have more points than him, Mm -hmm. Miko Rantanen, Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, David Pasternak, Artemi Panarin, Nathan McKinnon, Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid. Yeah. Pretty good list. And he's tied in points with Kachuk. Yes. 359 points. That's pretty ridiculous. And he has actually better point per game than Matthew Kachuk. So is it just the contract? Is it the lack of winning? Like what, was it that they chose him over Bo Horvat? Like, what is it that has provided this uh, block for some of the fan base? Because I, when I look at this player, when I watch this player, 
I appreciate him fully. Well, and he's also like a very rare player type. I know we talked about this before, but guys that play center at his size, yeah, production and physicality are very rare. Yeah, like we're talking about like the only player, and I know people have heard this by now, but there's only one other player in the cap era who's a center who's over six one, who's over two hundred pounds, has been a point per game player, has thrown over hundred hits, and that's Ryan Getzlaff. Mm-hmm. Pretty good, uh, pretty good company. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame pretty soon, I think. Yeah. Um, very rare player. We saw him uh, get into the fight uh, a couple of games ago uh, with the Buffalo Sabers after, um, you know, laying the hit on Rasmus Dahlin, and then he has to answer to Owen Power, and then he has to answer again to Eric Johnson. Um, so you know, JT is that guy. He can be the power forward. And there's not really many like him in in the NHL. This text comes in. uh, An interesting question. Logan, do you think Tampa would do the same trade with Miller knowing what they know now? Uh, I I tend to say yes because they were in a bit of a a cap bind. They needed to move somebody. And they won. Didn't they win two cups after doing that? Yeah. I mean, they didn't win their Stanley Cups after they made a Miller trade. Later that season, they moved. One of the first round picks they moved to get Blake Coleman was the Canucks pick. They traded it to New Jersey. And then, of course. Coleman was a big part of their Stanley Cup teams. Yeah. So I think it's one of those rare trades that actually worked out really well for both teams. Um, <laughs> I love the uh, the discussions that we get on uh, on the trade front. Just, I, I guess it's trade season, Sat. Hey, listen. Everybody wants to hear know, hypotheticals and who's out there and available. And, and I think, honestly, like in the past when we talked about trades, it was like, who's the, who are the Canucks trading off their roster? And fans would get frustrated half times. Like, why do we always talk about trading the players in this team? Like, what about adding on to the team? And it's kind of like, well, let the team get good first, then we'll yes. talk about adding. Well, they're good now. Yeah. So it's like, it's about adding. Who can you add? And I think it's universally loved. I think fans universally love talking about players the team can add to make them better. Armchair GM? I think people, like, if you're a contender and you're talking about adding to your team to be even a better contender, like, what fan doesn't want that? Yeah. Like, it's like, it's probably like 90-10 in terms of pro-adding players discussion in terms of uh, trade talk. It is better than uh, having to uh, discuss, you know, trading everybody away and what a rebuild would look like, which is where we've been in, in past years. Uh, but just uh, in, a, in a quick survey of the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, Nick Schmaltz, Alex Tuck, Elias Lindholm, uh, those are the names uh, people are wanting to acquire for the Vancouver Canucks. Um, I highly, highly doubt Alex Tuck would be a trade option out of Buffalo. And one of the interesting things about all of those teams like Buffalo, Ottawa, you know, today I was looking at Claude Giroux with the Ottawa Senators. Like he's got a no move clause. You know, he went home. He wanted Mm. to play with the Ottawa Senators. Probably doesn't want to move. Uh, now, even though they haven't been all that good, but you look at some of those teams and I kind of just wonder like who is, who is available from those teams? Because again, as I said earlier, they, they kind of got the guys they like under term and under contract for a little while yet. Yeah. And otherwise, you know, maybe there's some young players that are intriguing, but if you're the Canucks, you're looking for a sure thing. You're not looking for a young player to add to this roster. Yeah, and I mean, and that's the thing. Like, you know, you, you want to go and, and add a project who's a young player? No. Probably not. Like, and I don't think the Canucks are a team that views their situation as having assets and players that are untouchable. Like, I just yep. don't think they view it that way. And that's not to say that they're going to trade Pedersen or Hughes or Demko or, or any of these guys. That's not that's not my point. But go through the rest of the organization. Sure, there are players they would prefer to keep. They don't want to move. But... If you bring something to the table that's going to make them better and they feel like they can contend, 
and do it beyond this year. Like, I don't think there's anything that they wouldn't be open-minded to. Yeah. But is there a player available that they would consider going above and beyond for? And I think right now, I'm not seeing it. That's not to say they won't make additions. That's not to say that they're not going to make the team better. But in terms of that big swing that you're talking about, trading a first, trading a top prospect, trading a young player, like a big swing to go out and get like a star-level player, like who's a star-level player that's available right now? Like it's Lindholm guys. Again, rentals, Gensel rentals. Like I'm not sure those are the guys you're going to go all in for. Like, And if those aren't the guys you're going all in for, like who are we talking about here? There's always, um, you know, the the idea of just adding the, the guy that's the top of the list of of available players isn't always maybe the the best strategy i think that's something boston kind of did last year where they went out and got tyler bertuzzi and and dmitry orlov and it didn't really work out for them whereas vegas it seemed like they really identified ivan barbashev as a guy that would fit in really well with their play style and, and what they needed and Ivan Barbashev was one of their best players through their entire cup. Yeah. And I think that's similar to what the Canucks need. It's not that they need the most talented player out there possible that they could acquire. That'd be nice. Yeah. But I think because of a lack of options on the trade market, you're more looking for, okay, who's the player that could really fit? Who's the player that we think can really fit with our group right now? Yeah, I mean, I see somebody texting Batherson. I think Drake Batherson is actually from a player prototype. The way he plays, he's physical, he can score, his contract's nice, he's young. I think he's the type of player that you would love to, but would they move him? Again, you know, they they probably got the guys that they really like under contract. And that, you're and, right. And he's one of them. And like, I don't know if they're going to move him, right? So, like, the guy that I brought up before, and he's not perfect. It's like Buchnevich. Yeah. You know, has a couple of years left. You can probably acquire a player like that from St. Louis if they're looking to move him. There are a few guys they can move. You know, that they're open to the business. You know, he can play wing. He can play some different positions for you. He can do a bit of everything for you. He can score a little bit as well. Again, maybe not the perfect addition. Like, he's not the barbish of type necessarily. But it's not like he's a slow player that can't forecheck and can win puck battles. Like, he can do that and he can score a little bit. Yeah, uh, I, I've uh, I've been on uh, Frank Vetrano, as we know, uh, for a little bit now, and it's uh, not because of his Italian heritage. It's just uh, I like the player. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, it might be the Italian heritage. <laughs> Could be. Who knows? Uh, we'll get to more of your questions. Plus, Mike Kelly is going to join us uh, as uh, we try to dive in as to how the Canucks have sustained their success for now more than half a season after the early parts of the year. A lot of the underlying data was telling us this isn't going to last forever for Vancouver. How is that changing? We'll get to that and more as we continue here on Canuck Central.